0: We lock up in the vault of our life, and after a while, we don't even realize it anymore. Sometimes, we just accept it. We just tolerate it. We just think that's just the way we are. And it's interesting as we've been through these series. Uh, some of the things we're talking about in getting locked up in our lives—they're actually sin. I mean, we talked about greed; that's a sin. In fact, but let me just say this: give you an update. The week I talked about greed, we talked about uh, the, the, the widow and the widow's offering. And I encourage you to a life of generosity. And I told you that we had about $625,000 left over from the Apex building to get it wrapped up and done. And we could spread that over the year. But I had the idea, what if in the month of February, to represent generosity, we just wiped out that $650,000 above our regular giving? Well, we've gone through one week of February, and we've already wiped out $300,000 of it. So give yourself a hand, because thank you for responding. We still have three weeks left. But this is what I realized. I did a little bit of math. You know, if, if every adult that attends Hope this weekend, if they just gave $50 above what they regularly give this weekend, we would wipe it out this weekend. It would be gone. Now, I know some of you say, well, I, I could never do that. And some of you could. So some of you could give $100 to make up for a college student or, or maybe a single mom or a widow who couldn't. Some of you could probably drop in 1,000 and cover 20 college students. But if we just that's how easy it is to attain these things when we all pull together as the body. So I thank you for listening to greed, opening up your heart, getting the greed out, and replacing it with generosity. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about lust. That's a sin. If you're new to church, that's a sin. Uh, Then we're going to wrap up the series by talking about pride in a couple of weeks, and that's obviously a sin. But some of the things we've talked about, they're not necessarily sin, but they certainly prevent us from being the person that God created us to be. For example, depression. If you just lock it up in your life, and we saw in the life of Elijah that God gave us some very, uh, very concrete principles how we can deal with some of the depression in our lives. And then I talked about anger, and you remember we said anger's not a sin, but Paul made it very clear if you hold on to your anger and you sort it up in your life, it can certainly result in sin. In fact, you may find yourself doing things you never thought you would do if you don't process the anger. Last week, Donnie did a phenomenal job talking about temptation, and again, it's not a sin to be tempted. But how you respond to the temptation, that could lead you into sin. So you've got to deal with temptation in your life. This week we're talking about failure. And this is certainly one of those areas where, man, if you don't process it and deal with it, you just lock it up, it, it, it will take you down. It will destroy your potential that God would love to use you for in His kingdom. So we're going to talk about failure. And you know what? I'm kind of excited about this one because... I am really good at failure. I'm telling you, if, if, if they gave PhDs in failure, I would have a PhD in failure. I'm just telling you, because it's just something I have figured out how to do really easily. And uh, in fact, if you knew how much I have failed in my life and the ways that I failed, you would even listen to me on the weekend, right? So I'm going to just keep that to myself, locked up in the vault of my life, right? And we, you know, we smile, but there, there are a few things in life that are tougher for us to deal with than failure. And i think part of the reason we're kind of conditioned that way i mean from the time we're children remember when we first go off to school all of a sudden we're faced with that you know that fear that we might fail and i can remember say i'm old school i went i went to school in the days where they gave red f's see now now it's one two three and four see there's nothing intimidating about that but a red f said not only did you fail you are a failure and i used to i used to wonder what would it be like to bring home a test with a red f on it or even worse, a report card. And it didn't take long to find out. It was horrible, right? We don't like to fail. And we finally, you know, if you're like me, I wasn't a great student. You get through school and then a few years later, you're trying to get a job, maybe you start a business. And once again, we come face to face with a fear of failure. I mean, do you remember, you remember trying to get jobs, doing job interviews? See, it's been a while, but I remember one time I had a, I had a job interview. They were a church up in the San Francisco area. They called me and asked me if I was interested in being the pastor and i sent my resume and we had a phone interview so this phone interview is going on of course there's a board on one end of the phone and there's me and laura on the other end of the phone in my house and uh, the interview i thought went really well and then at the end they said uh one last question mike how would you feel about pastoring a -A garb church and i said i don't know what that is they said well that would be a general association of regular Baptists." i'm like well to be honest with you i'm not all that excited about being a baptist but if I'm going to be a Baptist, I would much rather be a regular Baptist than an irregular Baptist. See, I thought that was so funny. Dead silence on the other end of the phone, right? Well, I said, well, I think you can write that one off, honey. I think it's safe to say they're not going to call you back. They ended up hiring me. Here's the problem. Even if you get the job, what if I fail, right? And then about that time in our lives where we hadn't gotten married all ready, we, we found that person that we think is going to be our mate. And then we have the fear, ooh, what if he's not the right person? What if she's not the right person? But when you think about it, there are hundreds of things in life that we can fail at. And sometimes we fail at relationships. Sometimes we fail at parents. We fail at reaching our goals and our dreams. Sometimes we fail to make the right choices. And as a result, we live in the backwash of the consequences. And sometimes those consequences follow us for the rest of our lives. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us, most of us have a pretty poor track record in some area of our, of our, of our lives that we, we don't go out of our way to make public, do we? It's like Mark Twain said, we're all like the moon. We all have a dark side. There's always stuff that we do a pretty good job of covering up. And I think it's one thing to fail. The reality is is we're all going to fail, but it's another thing not to learn from our failure. And maybe that's, that's kind of where you are this weekend as it relates to a specific area of your life. And if that's the case, if that's the case, you're living in the middle of that failure, you already know it's a horrible way to live. There's frustration there. There's a sense of emptiness there. I can guarantee you there's some guilt there. Now, thankfully, as you're going to see this weekend, there's some encouraging truths in God's word that can help us not only open up the vault of our life and, and release the failure, but these truths, these principles that we're going to look at over the next few minutes, they can actually position us to grow through our failures. And even if things are going great right now, and you're thinking, "Whoa, good, a weekend I just get to sit back and listen. I don't have to be uncomfortable because right now I got the world by the tail. Even if that describes you right now, I think you're going to hear some, uh, maybe some helpful information that will help you for that time in your life when you fail. It's not a matter of if you fail, okay? It's a matter of when you are going to fail. So I just want to begin by identifying a couple just initial pressures you're going to deal with when you fail. Here's the first one. Expect pressure from those around you. I mean, let's be honest. We've all been down. We've all failed, and we've all experienced people kicking us while we're down, piling on while we're down. And I don't know why it is as Christians, but it's almost just like our favorite indoor sport. And I can't speak for you, but I know this. When I'm down, when I have failed, and I know that I have failed— I don't need anybody to tell me how much I feel. But you're going to experience. You're going to get pressure from other people. And the second, you can expect pressure from self-imposed guilt. And I think, again, you know, as Christians, maybe we're the worst at this. And it's because I think after we follow Jesus for a while, after we've been a Christian for a while, I don't know that we mean to, but we kind of begin to see ourselves as spiritual superstars. I mean, a couple of years, some of you sitting right now, if two years ago somebody would have told you, you're going to be attending church on the weekend, you would <laughs> have yeah, right. But here you are. And not only are you here, through Jesus Christ, God has changed your life. He's reconciled you back into a relationship with him. And you're reading your Bible a little bit. And we have an all play. And you say, let's take that big step and get into a small group. So you got into a small group. And maybe you started giving a little bit, becoming a person of generosity. And maybe you started serving in some areas, using the gifts that God had given you. And see, it's pretty easy to think, wow, I'm sure glad I'm not like those people, the way I used to be. You know, those people, Right. And by the way, I think that's probably the number one reason why people who aren't Christians think we're so obnoxious at times. Because we feel like, you know what? I I used to be like that. I would never. Well, let me just say this. You might. Given the right circumstance, you might. I'm sure there was a time in David's life where he thought, I would never. How about Peter? Jesus told Peter, man, I tell you what, Jesus, everybody else can desert you. I will die for you. And Jesus like, Peter, you silly boy. Before the sun comes up tomorrow you're going to deny three times that you even know me see given the right circumstances we can potentially do anything I mean when we when will we ever learn that as followers of Jesus Christ we're nothing more than plain ordinary people sure our sins have been forgiven sure we've been reconciled back to God sure we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit sure we are now in God's family but see it's not because of anything we've done in fact let me let you in on a secret the very same sin nature that you carried before you met Christ you're going to carry that Very same sin nature to the grave with you. And so, other than the fact that God has taken us on as a project at the time of salvation, other than the fact that, you know, God is at work in our lives, there isn't really a whole lot of a reason for us to get a big head or to be full of pride. But when we lose that perspective, we can create in our minds these unrealistic standards that are far beyond the ability of any of us to reach as Christians. And when we can't reach them or get anywhere near those unrealistic standards and we find out that we failed, often we're devastated. Now this is something I want you to hear this weekend. And if you don't hear anything else, get this. In fact, if you get this and you want to leave, that's fine with me, but just make sure you get this. God does not set unrealistic standards for us. We set unrealistic standards, but you're going to see, I'm going to show you right from scripture, God doesn't set unrealistic standards for us. Now, but this is what I want to do over the next few minutes. I want to address four issues that uh, you're going to have to work through, if, 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 if you're not only going to get past your failure, you are actually going to position yourself to grow through your failure. I'm going to talk about responsibility, I'm going to talk about focus, I'm going to talk about perspective, and then I'm going to talk about security. And each one of these four truths, each, each of these principles plays a key role when it comes to our ability to grow through our failure. Now the first one has to do with responsibility. Let me just give you the principle and then we will unpack it. Your failure is your responsibility Own it your failure is your responsibility on it it's not the fault of your mate it's not the fault of your friend your roommate your co-worker it's not the fault of your teacher your failure is your responsibility now unfortunately we live in a society where nobody likes to take the blame for anything in fact everybody loves to shift the blame if we're 15 minutes late for work we blame it on the traffic if our kids are having problems in school we blame it on the teacher I mean if we're having problems in our marriage we blame it on our spouse. We love to play the blame game. It's just kind of a characteristic of our society. And again obviously this is nothing new. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Goes all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve and you know the story how God created them and placed them in this beautiful perfect garden. Basically all they had to do was keep up the place. You know God says just manage it. Take care of it. And not only that they had this incredible relationship with one another. They had this incredible relationship with God. It was a beautiful thing. It was a perfect environment. It was paradise. And God says, only one restriction. There's a tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat the fruit. Because if you eat the fruit, uh uh-oh, bad things are going to happen. But as we saw a few weeks ago, because of greed, it wasn't enough that they had everything in the garden for themselves. They were missing out on something. And so they took the fruit. They ate the fruit. The fall came. They developed a sin nature. It was now in the blood. There was self-awareness. They looked at each other, and they were shamed. They realized they were naked. Remember that? So they hid themselves. And God came looking for him. shocked. God found them. And God said, where are you? Literally, the Hebrew says, why are you where you are? Why are you hiding from me? you never hid from me before. Why are you hiding? And remember what Adam said? We were naked. We were embarrassed. We were ashamed. And it says in Genesis 3:11, he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And I want you to notice how Adam, in one sentence, blames not one but two people. Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me. In other words, God, I was doing just fine when it was me and the monkeys. I mean, we were having the time of our lives. But that woman, that by the way, you gave me. I didn't ask for her, God. I went to sleep, woke up, she's here. That's all I'm doing. You gave me, right? And then it says this in verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The snake. The devil made me do it. See, I mean, since you blame, blame, blame. And just like Adam and Eve, when we mess up, what do we do? We blame God, we blame others. It's not my fault I'm like this. It's not my fault I did this. It's not my fault I turned out this way. And every one of us struggle in this area. But let me just say that If you're going to grow through your failure, you've got to deal with the real problem, and the real problem is you. And when you fail, not only is it your responsibility, your responsibility that you felt, it's your responsibility how you're now going to deal with your failure. And you can choose to live under the weight, the guilt, the shame of the failure, or you can choose to grow through it. Here's the second issue. Once you accept responsibility for your failure, you have to shift your focus. You have to shift your focus. By the way, we can, we can learn a lot about focus if you have your Bible this weekend. We're going to spend some time here. Psalm 103. We can learn a lot from David in Psalm 103. If you don't have your Bible, we'll put the verses up on the screen. This is one of my favorite Psalms. And and as I have said before, I used to think that David wrote this psalm after maybe a high point in his life. Maybe after he just returned from a victorious battle. Or maybe it was a time of great prosperity or some great celebration in the nation of Israel. But now, I believe, because if you study the story of David's life, he lived 80 years. And his life looks pretty much like a rooftop. It goes just like this until he has the affair. Until he murders Uriah. And God forgives him, but the last 40 years of his life pretty much go like this. And I used to think that he wrote this on the upswing, but now I believe the more I study David and the more I read the Psalms that it was probably at this part of his life that he wrote this. Maybe after one of the many failures in his life that he had to accept and work through. Maybe it was that colossal failure with Bathsheba where he ended up killing Uriah, her husband, just to try to cover it up. Maybe it was after, I mean, he basically stunk up the palace as a parent. David was a horrible parent and his kids were out of control. I mean, think about this. One of his sons, Amnon, raped his own sister Tamar. Another son, Absalom, was so angry at Amnon that he killed Amnon, and then Absalom was so angry at his dad and hated his dad so much, he organized a coup, took over the throne, ran David out of the city. So maybe it was in the backwash, the backlash of one of these failures that David had to sit down, and he's like, "Take a deep breath, take a deep breath, refocus." And he wrote Psalm 103 verse one: "Praise the Lord, all my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord all my soul." Forget not all of his benefits. Just don't forget any of his benefits. And just like David, see, when I fail, and it happens quite often, I think the number one thing I need to do is, see, as I have, I just calm down, get a hold of my soul, and say, soul, I am at a crossroads. I have failed, and in this moment of failure, I basically have three choices. I can, first of all, I can shift the blame somewhere else, and I can refuse to accept responsibility for it, and that I can just live in denial. Second, I could focus on myself and what a big loser I am. And I could do that, but I'm going to live my life bitter and happy and discouraged and depressed. Or three, I can, I can accept responsibility for my failure, but shift my focus from me to God. And when I choose option number three, just like with David, instead of living in defeat, I can count on God's benefits to help me move forward and help me grow and learn through my failure. Now, in Psalm 103, David just points out, he goes right through some of these benefits of claiming God's grace instead of choosing to live in defeat. And so, like I said, he says in verse one, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all of his benefits. And then he gives us the first one, who forgives all your sins. Can we just say that line together? Who forgives all your sins? Let's take like we really meant it, okay? Who forgives all your sins? And some of you are thinking, Mike, even the sin that led to my failure because that's sometimes why we fail i would say yes even the sin that led to your failure especially the sin that led to your failure who forgives all your sins verse 3 he heals all your diseases and i've said before david he's not really talking about physical diseases here although there are times in our life where god certainly heals us but god uses a david uses a word that more accurately describes what we would call diseases of the soul. Things that we're talking about in this series. In fact, I think that David is talking about the diseases in our life that have a tendency to paralyze us and prevent us from living the lives that God designed us to live. You know, because we keep them locked up in the vault of our lives. I just made a list. Hatred, strife, bitterness, stubbornness, pride, resentment, anger, failure. David says, God heals them all. He takes them all away verse four who redeems your life from the pit and i don't know about you but when i fell i'm telling you that's where i live i live in the pit and often i feel like man you can't get any lower i couldn't go any lower but david said you got to understand god does you may be there but that's where god wants you to be he doesn't want you to stay in the pit he wants to redeem us he wants to restore us he wants to bring us up out of the pit and i love how he put it in verse 10 he does not treat us as our sins deserve can I get an amen on that one? Aren't you glad that God does not treat us as our sins deserve? See, see God's unlo- He's not like us. God's love is unconditional. See, our love's conditional. Most of our relationships are conditional. We get married, they're like, you better meet my expectations. You better meet, or you are out of this marriage. It may be a partnership. It may be a friendship. There's just a sense. If we don't live up to the expectations, we may be on the outside looking in. That's not the case with God. It's never conditional. See, sometimes law will say, will you go to the mall with me? I'm like, what are you going to buy me? I'm like a three-year-old. You know what I'm saying? Right? It's conditional. God's love is unconditional. It's never, if you do this, then I'll do this. It's not like that. In fact, look what it says in verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. It's not tit for tat. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those, here's the key, who fear him, who respect him, who honor him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. By the way, you know what that that tells me right there? It tells me that God is the only person that you can go to, warts and all. See, this is what I want you to hear. You can go to God after any failure. He will never beat you down. He won't judge you. He won't put you on a guilt trip. You can go to God any time of the day, any time of the night. You can say, God, I blew it again. And his response will always be, I cannot believe it. No, that's not it. I had no idea you were capable of that. He has every idea what we're capable of. You can go to God and his response will always be, here's my compassion. Here's my love. Now let me clean you up. What did we learn going through this process? How do we move forward from here? In other words, he can handle your failures because he's dripping with compassion. He's dripping with compassion. Now, not all Baptist churches are the same, but I'll tell you, the Baptist church I grew up in, that's not the part of God's character we heard about. We heard about, I will smack you upside the head if you step out of line. That was the God I grew up. See, I got saved every Sunday. Every Sunday, woo! Just as I am, just as I am. Here I come, you know. I surrender all. I know I can't be saved or I wouldn't have done what I just did on Thursday. I got to get back down there, right? Because God's going to knock me upside down, right? A lot of you grew up Catholic. I guarantee you, one of the things you didn't learn about God's character, probably a lot, was that He was a God who was dripping with compassion. So instead of living in the backwash of defeat and having a pity party, you got to get your focus off yourself. You got to get, you get your focus on God, which brings us to the third issue, and it has to do with, with perspective. When you fail, refuse to compare yourself to someone else. Don't we do that? I mean, you lose your job. What do you do? You compare yourself to the one person you know who's never lost a job, right? You blow it as a parent. We compare ourselves to parents. All their kids are honor students, and we know who you are. We've seen your obnoxious stickers all over the back of your van, okay? We get it. Your kids are wonderful, right? We look at the couple who hasn't been married anywhere near as long as we have, but yet they're so much further ahead of us financially, And we compare, and we compare, and we compare, and we compare, and we get discouraged. Let me tell you, when you fail, refuse to look at another person and say, you know, in comparison to him, in comparison to her, I really am a loser. You know what the issue is? Perspective. You got to have a different perspective. I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I had my annual physical. When you turn 60, it is a roller coaster. You know what I'm saying? So I go in there, I'm feeling pretty good. Blood pressure, 171 over 97. They said, did you know your blood pressure is high? I said, not surprised. And they said, why? I told them about my staff. They said, okay, we're good. You're good. We got it. We got it. It'll go down. And, uh, and then, you know, they do the EKG. And the nurse, she's pulling off those little stickers. She said, you have a lump in your chest. I said, no, that's my chest. <laughs> she said, no, it, it's a lump. I said, I know. She said, well, how long has it been there? I said, I don't know. You're not worried about it? I said, are you worried about it? She said it feels mobile, feels like it's moving around. I'm pretty sure it's nothing, but we should have you have a sonogram. I said, well, if you're sure it's nothing, why don't you have a sonogram? She said, well, it could be breast cancer. I said, I am not having breast cancer. I said, I'll have chest cancer. I'll have pet cancer. I ain't having breast cancer. What she I'm sure it's nothing, but we got to. So anyway, a couple of days later, I'm driving around and my phone rings in my truck. And is this Michael? Yes. We're calling to schedule your mammogram. I said, mamma what? We're calling to schedule your mammogram. I said, you got the wrong number. I'm telling you. I got no mab to gram. You know what I'm saying? Right? And she said, I said, they, they told me sonogram. She said, oh, no, no, no. They got your orders mammogram. And I said, I'm not really comfortable with that. And she said, hey, keep it in perspective. It's not a colonoscopy. Ah, oh, okay, cool. Let's have a mammogram. You know, let's just go for it, right? it ended up being nothing, lump of fat. I told Laura it was my unborn twin. I've been carried right by my heart all these years, you know. But, but, you know, put it in perspective. Mammogram's not so bad, you know. And it's, you know, I'm telling you, even from the, right, from the right perspective, even a failure can look great. I love this. This, this, this girl sent this text to her mom and dad. Just thought I'd drop you a note to clue you in on my plans. I've fallen in love with a guy named Jim. He quit high school after grade 11 to get married. About a year ago, he got divorced. We've been going steady for two months and we plan to get married in the fall. Until then, I've decided to move into his apartment. By the way, I think I may be pregnant. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, although I would like to finish sometime in the future. Sends it in the text, right? Parents are sitting there. Then they get another text. Mom and dad. I just want you to know that everything I sent you in that last text is false. None of it's true. But it is true that I got a C- minus in French and I did flunk out of math. And I'm going to need a lot more money to finish my semester. See, she set them up. She punked them. Now they'll give her anything in the world. Like, just to say, again, perspective, right? It's all about perspective. I love what Thomas Edison said. He says, I have not failed. I just found 10,000 ways that won't work. See, maybe 10,000 is the answer. See, it's all about perspective. Let me give you a newsflash. You're not perfect. In fact, just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not perfect. See, some of you can't do it. Like Fonz, right? (laughs) You're not perfect. So let me ask you a question. We all know we're not perfect. Why do we even set a standard or a goal of perfection? Ain't gonna happen. It's all about perspective. This is what David said, verse 15. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. Now, he's setting us up because of what comes in the next verse, but I'm going to tell you right now what David is saying. He's saying, flowers come and go, you know. I mean, people come and go like flowers in the springtime. This is what he's saying. You can't count on people. You can't rely on people. You can't depend on people. What did we hear in that Johnny Cash song? Everyone I know goes away in the end. Yeah, you can't count on people. But, verse 17, here it is. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. David says, now that's what you can count on. That's what you can count on. Do you know how many verses there are in the Bible? Anybody ever counted them? 31,103. Do you know what the middle verse of the Bible is? I mean, if you went to the very middle, do you know what the verse is? Is Psalm 118, verse 8. A little trivia this weekend. This is what it says. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. You think it's a coincidence? I don't think so. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. You got to have that perspective. What did we sing earlier? There wasn't a day you weren't by my side? There wasn't a day you just let me fall and stay there? No. Or are we saying after that, you're never going to let, never going to let me down. You're never, see, got to keep that perspective but see if you fail i mean and all you worry about is what everybody else thinks you're going to go into the tank and you're going to stay there and you're going to see yourself as a loser but if you can view your failure from god's perspective and you can remember that his love is everlasting to everlasting i'm telling you you cannot stay down because you know in some way he's even going to use your failure to do something amazing in your life and this isn't just a power positive thinking i hate that kind of junk this is biblical truth In fact, this is one of the traits that made Jesus so attractive. He always saw people not for what they were. He saw them for what they would become. I mean, he met Simon Peter, right? Simon, son of John. You know what Simon means? Dove-like. That's what it means in the Greek. Has the idea of vacillating, moody, shifty, flaky. You're Simon. You're going to be a rock when I finish you, right? He didn't see people... For what they were, he saw them for what they were going to become. And it was on that basis that he selected the 12 disciples. And if you do the study, they were pretty much a bunch of failures, losers, underachievers. But because he saw them for what they were going to become, he left a lot of room for failure. Let me tell you something when you fail, very important where your perspective is. Are you worried about what people think? Are you worried about how much God loves you? That he's a God whose compassion is just dripping. And then fourth, it has to do with security. When you fail, count on God's constant acceptance and understanding. Look at verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers, I love this, he remembers that we are dust. You can always count on that response from God. Here's our problem. We base our self-worth on what we can accomplish. We base our self-worth on our achievement. I'm tell- I don't think God looks for us to achieve. I don't think he even expects it. According to this verse, he looks at us after we fell, and he remembers dust. So that tells me God's not the problem. We are actually the problem. We see the externals. We gauge on the externals. God sees the heart. He sees the motive. He sees what's going on on the inside. Remember 1 Samuel 16, 7, we built a whole series on that. God doesn't look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. God's concerned about what's going on on the inside. And when God looks on the inside of each of us, he sums up what he sees basically with a four-letter word, dust. Just dust. Now, let me tell you something. If you struggle with pride, you know, if you think you're all that, God's gift to humanity, right? If you struggle with pride, that's not very encouraging. Because, see, we want to be a little more than dust. We want to achieve so we can be accepted. God looks at us, dust. And God doesn't expect dust to produce. You know what dust does? It just lays there, looks dirty. That's all dust does, right? And if we can ever wrap our brains around the fact that God is going to accept us unconditionally and he's going to love us regardless. If we can ever wrap our head around that, we'll spend a lot fewer days discouraged and depressed see I'm convinced that most of our discouragement and depression in life comes from the fact that we focus on people and what people think of us instead of focusing on God and what God thinks of us and when we focus on people and we don't get their approval and we don't get their acceptance we feel insecure but if we focus on God and realize that he accepts us regardless and loves us unconditionally I'm telling you we got security by the tons because he just seizes his dust still accepts us just as we are I mean is not that encourage well, I just came through a week where Seriously You ever felt like everything you touch You know And I, I Constantly struggle I just let you into my life a little bit Should I be doing this thing, this job There's hardly a day that goes by and I'm like honey, I really think God Wants me to be a bartender And she talks me down No, go preach, put down the vodka And go preach, you know and But isn't it, isn't it amazing that God says, I'm just head over heels in love with you. I know you failed, but let's, let's address it. Let's learn from it. Let me give you a couple of things that might help you as you work through your fail. I'll just leave you with these. One, control your expectations. The key to happy life is low expectations. I told you this. You know, I mean, we have kids. We push them. We drive them. My son's going to be the next Tom Brady. Derek Jeter. My daughter's going to be the next Olympic gymnastic champion. And we push him, we push him, we get him up at 5 o'clock in the morning, you know. I had, when I was in California, uh, my secretary, she had two coaches. Her daughter was at ice skating. She's paid this ridiculous amount of money for ice time, paid money for uniforms and costumes and flew her all over the country. And when she got to be 14, she wanted to be a cheerleader. Walked away from it, you know. She felt like the biggest failure in the world. See, we set our expectations too high with our children. You ever plan a family vacation and you, it's gonna be the best are you kidding me have you been on a family vacation it never it never goes the way it plays out in your mind are you dating keep your expectations low it's not gonna be the bachelor he is not gonna he's not gonna sweep you off your feet put you in a helicopter take you to a deserted beach somewhere where someone set up dinner just for the two of you and there are no flies and mosquitoes that's not going to happen you're lucky to get Prius and Taco Bell I'm just saying I expect Laura got this see got Laura got this in our marriage you know, she had the right perspective. Laura spent about five minutes with me and she knew I was a loser. But see, she, she likes a challenge. This is no lie. This is the God honest truth. This is how I proposed to Laura, walking her to her dorm. Seriously, you wouldn't want to marry me, would you? How's that for confidence? No ring, no plan, no nothing in the moment. Wouldn't want to marry. See, I had to leave myself an out. Because if she laughed, you're yeah, I'm just kidding. You know, right, right, right. Laura looked at me and said, Oh, I like a challenge. See, I'm Laura's mission field. She never has to go to Uganda, Haiti, or anywhere. Well, I mean, God, you've called me to this, and this is what I'm going to do. See, low expectations. Let me tell you something. If he takes out the trash, picks up his dirty underwear, and doesn't belch and scratch in public, you've probably got to keep her. I'm just saying, you've got to keep those expectations realistic or you're going to be disappointed. And I'm not suggesting that we strive to be low achievers and we don't have any goals or ambition. I'm just trying to encourage you. Listen to me. I'm just trying to encourage you you have breathing room in your relationship with god in your relationship with god god gives you lots of room to fail you have a new job leave some room for failure are you in school leave some room for failure are you starting a family guess what you're going to fail at some things those kids are adorable now they are juvenile delinquents in training i'm telling you right now (laughs) count on it leave some room for failure control your expectations second lead the results to god Yeah, without a doubt, give it all you've got. But you know what? At the end of the day, if all you've got is C-, minus, just give it to God. The results are God's. In fact, let me just show you a classic illustration I'll close with this. What looked like a failure, but boy, ended up a pretty good success story. It's Isaiah talking, Isaiah 53, and this is where he's talking about Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come. He kind of fast-forwards ahead and he says this, talking about Jesus, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him you remember that uh, i did a series a couple of years ago where we used uh, some clips from the jesus the bible show and jesus was this like australian hunky surfer guy you know that you know i told lord you can't watch this anymore that jesus is just too good looking isaiah said that's not this jesus he had no beauty or majesty in other words from a human perspective we would have thought wow this guy's a failure are you kidding me he didn't sweep in on a white stallion you know like prince charming he's born in a stable his mom was some Jewish teenage girl that wasn't even married. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces, hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. you know what that means? It means that when people looked at Jesus, they said, there is no way that this is the Messiah. There is no earthly way that this is the Son of God. And when he should have been hitting his stride at 33, he wound up hanging on a cross. And even the disciples, the one that he had poured three years into, the ones that were closest to him, said, you know, joke. It's a scam. It's a hope. They, hopes, they, they scatter like rats on a sinking ship. But see, the key's in verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will. Anytime you see the Lord's will, God's will, think plan. It was the Lord's plan to crush him and cause him to suffer. You see, like it or not, failure, this crushing experience, is part of the process. It's part of the plan. The big issue is this. How's God going to use the crushing in our life? What's it going to look like? How are we going to grow through it? Peter Marshall, great old pastor, wrote this. It's better to fail at a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed at a cause that will ultimately fail. Maybe as you're listening, see, your your dream, it is crumbling right before your very eyes. And you're feeling right now the effect of what Isaiah called the crushing. Refocus. Perspective. It's part of the plan. It's part of the arrangement. God knows what he's doing. He knows how to pull it off. He knows when to crush us. Next week, we're going to talk about lust. Put your kids in Kid City. Are you going to have some really interesting conversations on the way home? Make sure your middle schoolers are in middle school ministry. Because we're talking about something that is just absolutely rampant in our culture. And a lot of us, if we're honest, we lock it up in the vault of our life. and We tolerate it. So we're going to dig it out, poke at it some next week, and see if we can get rid of it. Okay? Let's pray, God, thank you. You know what, God, even as I talked about lust right now, some of people are thinking, oh yeah, that's in the area of my failure. And maybe maybe what they need to hear is who forgives all your sin? Who redeems you from the pit? Whose love is everlasting and everlasting who's dripping with compassion. We need to hear that. Some of us, we failed at marriage. We failed at parenting. We failed in our careers. We failed in our relationships. We failed financially. We failed because we give the temptation. and We reap the results and consequences of it. And God, you have to teach us. If you love us, you discipline us. Just like we do when our children run into the street. We don't want them to keep running into the street. The Father, is not to drive us from you. It's to drive us back towards you. Back to the safety of the comfort. Just like the prodigal who ran back into his father's home. Get the ring. Get the robe. Kill the calf. He's home. So I pray for anyone because of their failure this weekend may feel like there's no place in your arms. Just remind them of your love and your compassion and your acceptance. And may we find healing. May we open up. May we release it. And may we grow and move forward with you. In your name we pray. Amen.